into Passover as Jesus instituted communion on that Passover meal, of course, just before he died. Before I do that, let me just bring you up to speed a little bit on some of the things that I've been talking about in my Sunday school class. Some of you are in my class. Just out of curiosity, how many people are in my Sunday school class? Would you raise your hand so I know what I'm dealing with here? Okay. It's probably about a little less than half. So uh, we're doing the book of Exodus. And I began by, by trying to talk about the central themes of the book of Exodus, how important they are to the rest of Scripture. And uh, one of the things that I was emphasizing is how important the Exodus is in understanding the Christian life, to understand the pilgrimage we're on, to understand not just in a symbolic sense, but, but in, a, in a real, true uh, representation of what is taking place in our Christian lives. And I, and I talked about the focal point of, of Passover, that um, as you think of Jesus and his work, I think there's a tendency to primarily think about Jesus' work as an atonement for sin. That Jesus died as an atonement for sin. He certainly did die as an atonement for sin. And the New Testament says that he died for an atonement for sin. But it's not the central thought. Um, If you think about Jesus and what he did... uh, Jesus is consistently referred to, and thank you very much for singing that song tonight, which you had no idea what I was going to talk about, but what Jesus is referred to is the Lamb of God. Now, it's interesting that a lamb was not slain on the Day of Atonement. It was a bull or it was a goat, but it wasn't a lamb. A lamb was slain on Passover. Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He dies not on the Day of Atonement. He dies during Passover. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and speaking with Moses and Elijah... They refer to his departure, is how it's translated into English. But the word for departure is the Greek word for exodus. And I really wish they would have translated it exodus. Because we are to see the connection between what Jesus did when he died on the cross and what took place during Passover. It was an exodus, a leading of his people out of bondage, the bondage of sin, into this new relationship and to the promised land, okay? A place where they would dwell and get a new heaven, new earth, all that. So it's all about Passover. Uh, As I said, I think I said, uh, nowhere is Jesus referred to as a bull or a goat. Now it does say in the book of Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, and Jesus takes away our sin, but... uh, He's not referred to as that. I forget the number off the top of my head. It's either 22 or 29 times in the book of Revelation. Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. I mentioned how in the book of Revelation we have the plagues. In the book of Exodus we have the plagues. We ought to see a connection between the plagues in the book of Exodus, the plagues 
in the book of Revelation. We see at the end in Revelation chapter 21, they're singing the Song of Moses. The Song of Moses is sung in Exodus chapter 15 after the children of Israel led out of, out of Egypt. There are just so many connections between these two books to, to depict what God is doing in our redemption that, well, to me, is just fascinating and amazing. So that's just kind of a background tonight of what I'm going to center in on, and that is simply, I'm going to talk about the actual ceremony tonight and the observance, if you will, of Passover and its connection to the observance of communion, how they are similar and how they are unique. Uh, so let me begin with ways in which Passover and communion are similar. Okay. Well, as, as communion was first established, of course, it was during the Passover meal. Uh, it was instituted on the night before the Passover, and it is a continuation and fulfillment of Passover. So what do they have in common? Well, both have at its core the centrality of the Passover lamb. In Exodus 12, verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Okay? The Passover centers upon the sacrifice of a lamb. Now it does say, if you don't have a lamb, you can use a kid, you can use a goat. But basically, the picture is of this lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact a leaven for Christ. Our Passover has been sacrificed. So Jesus is this Passover lamb. Both speak of deliverance from death through the shed blood of the Passover lamb. The lamb dies so that others will not die. In Exodus, it says, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So I hope you remember the plague of the Passover and the angel of death, when it saw on that house the blood of the Passover lamb passed over, meaning that did not strike dead the firstborn of the house where the blood was applied. But where the house was not, the blood was not applied, that house experienced death of the firstborn. So the sacrificial lamb was in the place so that others would not die. Both um, Passover and communion are to be eaten with others. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. So they were to eat this Passover meal, not individually, but corporately that they were to celebrate Passover together. For Passover, 
brought the people of Israel together. He was forming a nation. So too, communion represents not just our fellowship with God, but our fellowship with one another. And like Passover, is not to be celebrated in isolation. But a large part of communion is a recognition of what God has done for us corporately as a people of God and bringing us together as a body, as, as a church. So in 1 Corinthians it says, For in this first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you are eating. He's saying, if you are divided, that's not communion. You need to be participating in fellowship in order to be uh, a part of communion. I have come to realize how important that is in the teaching of scriptures. When I first came 35 years ago, one of the things that I would do after we would celebrate communion is I used to go around to individuals who weren't here and serve them communion. I stopped that. For I couldn't find that anywhere in Scripture. I followed a practice. I don't know if Pastor Owens did it. I, I, I doubt he did it. I don't know. So I'm not blaming him or whatever. But I followed a practice that I was aware of, but... I said to myself as I was talking about communion to this person who was just that person and me, uh, that really isn't what communion is about. And I'm really misleading that person, especially if they could have been here for communion and decided not to participate. It's really about coming together in order to celebrate what God has done for us collectively. Both are to be a teaching tool to future generations. Exodus 12, 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our house. So when the children ask you, why are you doing this? Well, you're to tell them. You're explain to what it is. In the New Testament, we find these words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, now these words you do show forth, meaning you proclaim, you teach, you instruct. You are bearing witness to future generations. So we have some children here tonight. A lot of times when we take communion, we have more children. And it's an opportunity to go home and your kids say to you, what was that? Why couldn't I take communion? Why were you eating a bread? Why were you drinking a cup? It's the opportunity to explain to them what it means and what it means to have a personal relationship to God. So both of them were intended to be teaching tools. Both are to commemorate a great event of deliverance. Passover, freedom from the bondage in Egypt, and communion, freedom from the bondage of sin. But as I was saying in... Um, my Sunday school class, it wasn't freedom just to go their own way, but it was freedom to worship and serve God. It was freedom now to be able to be under God's authority. 
Let my people go that they may serve me. And I, <coughs> again in Sunday school, said that the word for worship and the word for service in Hebrew are the same word. You can't have service without worship. You can't have worship without service. They were to worship. They were to serve God. And he delivered us from the bondage of sin so that we would worship and serve him. Both are to be eaten with a hope of expectation. A hope of expectation of what comes next. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 42, concerning Passover, it says, It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out to the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. It was a night of expectation, a night of watching, of looking for God to deliver the children of Israel. But the interesting thing is it continued year after year, even when they were out of Egypt, for its ultimate fulfillment of deliverance was not yet complete. The deliverance that God had in view wasn't even completed in the land of Canaan. It won't be completed until the new heaven and new earth. And so they continued to celebrate Passover in anticipation of what is coming next. And the thing that was first coming next was the birth of the Lord Jesus and his death. Stage one is fulfilled. Passover ceases. And communion begins. As now there is yet this expectation that is associated with communion, just as there was expectation that was associated with Passover, this coming ultimate final deliverance. And so we read concerning communion, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death, and then the next statement is, till he comes. That this continues until he comes. That this deliverance that we're anticipating has begun by the cross and will be completed when he returns, just as in the Passover, the Exodus began when the children of Israel were led out of the land of Egypt, continued on until they went into the promised land, but even then, that's not the ultimate fulfillment, and they're still waiting and still observing Passover until the birth of Jesus Christ and his death. And so we are longing for this ultimate and final deliverance from sin and all of its corruption, into this new bondage, into this new relationship of God for all eternity. So both have this expectation associated with that. So what is unique about the celebration of Passover and communion? Let, let you ruminate on that for a moment. Ask yourself that question. What is unique about Passover and communion. Where does the similarity end and the disparity begin? And it might surprise you. For there is a major change. 
And the major change has to do with timing. Passover was to be celebrated at a specific time of the year. Exodus 13.4. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. The 14th day of the month was the time in which Passover was to be celebrated. And more than that, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So the calendar changed with Passover. God said to Israel, I want you to reform your calendar. The first month of the year is now the month of Abib. Because this is a new beginning for you. You are leaving the land of Egypt and you are on this new path. You're on this new way of life and you are to celebrate this new beginning by observing this date as a transforming event. Now, it's interesting in our calendar uh, it, of course, is uh, directed, not by month, but by year, by the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. By our calendar, we divide time into two epochs, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., not after death, but Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. So we measure time by this life changing experience of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is transforming. Well, Israel was to celebrate Passover as this transforming event, a brand new beginning, and so they celebrated on uh, the uh, 14th day of the first month now of the year. Again, ESV translates Exodus 12, 14. It was a night by watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so that same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord. It, there's a play on words there. The Lord's watching and the people are watching. Historically, the church has often celebrated what is referred to as a Watch night service. Everybody, have you heard that term before? A watch night service. And a watch night service has two things in common. First, a watch night service always had communion associated with it. That if you had a watch night service, you celebrated communion. The other was the time of the watch night service. And depending on the church tradition, watch night services have been traditionally held either on Christmas Eve in anticipation of Christmas Day and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ or New Year's Eve in anticipation of the New Year. Uh, in 
many Protestant circles, it tends to be more the New Year. Oftentimes, we think of the New Year as a time to start over. You know, New Year's resolutions, uh, we think of it as a time to have a second chance to uh, rededicate ourselves to the Lord, etc. But what I find to be striking is that unlike Passover, the scripture does not establish any set time that communion is to be observed. Passover was to be observed on the 14th day of the month, of the month of Aviv, in recognition of Passover. That's when Passover occurred. That's when the children of Israel were led out of the land of Egypt. That's when they departed. That's when the angel passed over. Jesus instituted communion at that time. But the scripture doesn't teach us that in in, in perpetuity of Passover that we continually celebrate communion as a celebration of Passover. Uh, We are not required to have communion on the 14th day of the month of Eve. Nor do we. It does not tell us when it's to be observed. No specific date on the calendar. Not only does it not tell us when to observe it, it doesn't tell us how often to observe it. Passover was to be observed one time a year, annually. There is no hint in the scripture on when it should occur or how often. It simply says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. When you do it. Doesn't say when you should do it. Doesn't say how often you do it. It says when you do it, do it this way. So what do we celebrate when we celebrate communion? It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. You are to proclaim the Passover, the, the, excuse me, the Exodus, until he comes. This pilgrimage that we are on, this, this new beginning, this new way of life that we have, we have uh, embarked upon. We're on the move. We're on the march. We are readying ourselves for the time in which the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But remember that Passover was intended to celebrate a new beginning. A new beginning. Therefore, it's to be held on the first month of the, of the year, celebrating this new beginning. That's exactly what Exodus tells us. So it's very appropriate for us to be celebrating communion on New Year's Eve, as oftentimes people look at 
a watch night service as a time to, to think about the new beginning. But what I'm trying to say to you tonight is we should look at every communion service as a celebration of a new, of a new beginning. The wonderful thing about our relationship with God is that we can have a new slate every single day. The book of Lamentation says that his compassions are new every morning. They fail not. We have the opportunity to start over. Habitually. Constantly. We get a redo. We get a makeover. We get a mulligan. We get second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. The wonderful thing about communion is we have an opportunity tonight to confess our sins before God. Recognize once again that our sins are dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ, forever taken away. And to be reminding ourselves that now we have a relationship with God. And that relationship may be healthy or it may be unhealthy. And if it's unhealthy, we need to confess sins. We, we need to express repentance. We need to make commitments of how we're going to change our behavior, our conduct, our beliefs, our attitudes. What we're going to do to allow the Spirit of God to lead us and direct us as he wants to. How we are going to no longer be stiff-necked, but be willing to follow his leading, his direction. We have this opportunity to start over. And I would plead with you to take the most of that opportunity. To tonight, just ask yourself, and it's very appropriate on New Year's Eve, to ask yourself, how do I want this year to be different from last? Is there something I need to repent of? Are the behaviors, are their attitudes, their conduct, their beliefs, are there events that have taken place in this past year that, that I haven't owned up to, that, that I haven't confessed, that, that I really need to repent of? Take an opportunity tonight to confess it before God and say, by the grace of God, by your help, next year will be different. Are there resolves that you need to make? Are there decisions? I've been really encouraging you to, to read the Bible more. Not just read your Bible through, but read your Bible more than, than, than you have been reading it. Is that something that, that you're led by God to do, to, to make that kind of commitment? To say, Lord, this year I'm going to try to do that. I'm, I'm going to try to read my Bible more than I did last year. What, it doesn't have to be that. You know, I, I want to pray more. I, I want to be more faithful. I, 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 I want to bring my giving into line. I, I don't tithe, and I know that I should this year. I'm, I'm really going to make an effort to tithe. Ask yourself, what is it that I need a new start in? What is it that I need to make a, a new and fresh commitment to God? The blessing... is that we constantly have this opportunity to start over in our relationship with God. We don't have to wait for the new year. But we can think 
constantly about our relationship to, to Jesus Christ and realize that we have been delivered from sin in order to serve God. Let my people go that they may worship me, that they may serve me. Realize that God saved you not simply to set you free from sin, but so that you now would worship and serve him. Have I have we been really faithful in worshiping and serving him? How can I do a better job of that? Uh, tonight's an opportunity to reflect upon that. So in just a moment, we're going to go to communion. But before we do, before we get up and before, I would like us just to have some time of silent meditation and reflection. Think before we take communion tonight. Are there areas that I want to confess? Are there changes that, that I need to make? Uh, take this opportunity to confess if there are sins in your life, if there, there are behaviors, attitudes, practices, whatever, uh, that you know God is displeased with, confess it. If there are things that you know you should be doing and haven't been doing, confess that. And if you want to make any commitments to the Lord, if you want to make any resolves, if, if you say, Lord, this year I want to be able to do this, I want to experience that, pray to God and uh, ask for his enablement before we take communion. So let's take some time and just pray uh, to the Lord. Amen. Let's celebrate communion together, celebrating the deliverance from the bondage of sin, celebrating this new freedom to be able to worship and serve God, celebrating the fellowship that we have with God and one another, how we're on this journey together, how God brought us together as a people of God to show forth his praise and to accomplish his purpose, even as he was assembling the nation of Israel. Let us look with anticipation for that final deliverance that comes when Jesus returns. As often as you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you should know forth the Lord's death till he comes. Let's look with the anticipation for the Lord's return and that ultimate and final deliverance, that new heaven and new earth that he's going to create, and uh, the blessings uh, of eternity. And as we think about that, let us just remember the pilgrimage we're on. Uh, may we not wander in the wilderness, but may we faithfully follow the leading and direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you would come forward and uh, serve us in communion.
Thank you.